about the show Barry on HBO. Ree, we're back for season two! What? Yay! Exciting. Um, exciting times. I think we're both psyched for different reasons. Yes. I'm very excited to get to this season. I think this is a really strong season of Barry. I mean, the first season was as well, but like yes. season two brings us a lot of flavor. It does, and we get like a lot more juice out of the supporting characters Yeah, that we will talk about in a little bit. So this is episode one of season two of Barry. The show must go on, probably. <laughs> uh, it was directed by Hiro Murai, who also directed episodes five and six of season one. And it was written by our, you know, classic duo, Alec Berg and Bill Hader. The season you would think it would pick up to resolve what ended with season one, or the way season one ended. But instead, we pick up in an entirely different transaction, different location. We're in Cleveland. Uh, we're there. Well, we don't know we're in Cleveland at this point, but... We're, we're somewhere. Yeah, we're somewhere. And this guy, this tall, skinny guy in, like, a Henley, who like, you gotta assume would be Barry. Um, <laughs> I love that they put him in a Henley. It was a total <laughs> misdirection. It absolutely was. Uh, he goes into an apartment. He kills two guys inside. And then he tries to open a safe. And he tries again. And he tries again. And ultimately, he tries to shoot the safe, and it doesn't go very well for him. He essentially kneecaps himself. <laughs> so the hitman goes uh, to this, like, CD motel, and he confronts Fuchs, who you so you find out is his boss. He's basically Barry 2.0. He's the new Barry. He's the new Barry, <laughs> yeah. Um, the new, definitely not improved yeah. <laughs> Barry. And Fuchs is there waiting with their client, who has suddenly had misgivings about, you know, this guy who he's hired and didn't realize anyone was going to get hurt. I was going to say, I'm not sure if it's misgivings. Fuchs just didn't fully inform him <laughs> of what was going to happen. I always like, if I didn't tell you, I should have. Yeah. <laughs> so the guy is like, uh, the, the police come, the client jumps out the window, uh, they shoot the hitman, and Fuchs surrenders and makes it seem like he's been captive there or something like that. Which was very clever on his part. He, <laughs> yeah. I actually wrote, uh, Fuchs tries to manipulate manslain, mansplain, <laughs> manslaughter his way out of this one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I just, before we move on, I just want to say, I think it's really clever that the writers did not get bogged down telling us, like, the backstory of this hit. Mm -hmm. Like, we don't know what was in the safe. Yep. We, we don't out. even know. And what's in the box? We yeah, don't know. it doesn't matter. <laughs> <laughs> So then we go back to L.A. Barry is preparing for the rehearsal of the front page, which opens tomorrow. Mm -hmm. The class is completely apathetic because Jean had a nervous breakdown the day before and left. And so they don't have a director. Mm -hmm. The reason for Jean's nervous breakdown is Janice's disappearance slash suspected murder. Mm -hmm. Barry decides to step into the director role himself, which does not excite anyone. <laughs> <laughs> and meanwhile, Hank is, you know, writing a letter back to Batir, who heads up the Chechen mafia. And, you know, is really just enjoying his time with Cristobal and, you know, effusive about all the positive changes that they're making. So that's why he's very upset when he gets summoned and Cristobal... <laughs> proposes that they form an alliance with Burmese mafia leader, Esther. He's not happy about that. <laughs> so Barry checks on Gene, probably more in an attempt to get him to come back and direct the show than Absolutely. <laughs> anything else. But he goes to check on Gene at his house, and he shows up, and the detective's there, who lets Gene know that his um, cabin is no longer an active crime scene, which Gene interprets as the police are giving up. <laughs> well, he does ask them if they searched the woods, and they were like, no, we think it would be futile. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, it was, they kind of are giving up. And they have no leads, so they're going to close the case. So Barry is trying to convince Gene to come back to class, but he refuses and lets Barry know that he has been contemplating the uh, the act of Harry Carey. Okay, so back at the stash house, Hank gets a letter in the mail. Well, it's not even a letter. 
but it is a message. <laughs> it is a bullet, um, and it's from his family back in the Chechen Republic. Hey, they liked his bullet idea. They did. They, <laughs> they adopted that, even after making fun of him for it. <laughs> so they think that the Bolivians are, you know, uh, at fault for killing Goran. And so Hank gets this, like, crazy get-up on <laughs> and goes undercover to Lululemon, where Barry is now working, and he he lets Barry know that he lied to cover for Barry and protect him, and he wants Barry to help him take out Esther, but Barry is, you know, thinks he's done with that life, and he's trying to refuse. Such a good scene. I definitely want to so <laughs> pick that apart a little more. So, that night... The class is getting ready to put on, you know, the front page that Barry and Sally and everybody have been working so hard on. Everyone's relieved when Gene actually shows up. Then Gene cancels the play. And unfortunately, he can't give anyone any refunds. But he can give them merchandise. (laughs) (laughs) Gene, I'm kissing him merchandise. (laughs) So afterwards, he basically, he tells this, like, very drawn-out story about Bertolt Brecht and some schnitzel and his wife, and I don't know where that came from, but basically says, like, he's he's shutting down the class. Like, Mm -hmm. he's done. Barry, like, sensing that, you know, everything in his future fantasy life is crumbling, it, like, begs him to continue, and then they kind of get into this little snit where, you know, Gene is like, well, this is about your feelings, you mm-hmm. know? Like, why don't you tell us about the first time you killed someone? And basically, like, in a panicked desperation move, Barry starts talking. <laughs> so he, you know, basically confesses that his in Afghanistan, he was on lookout with Albert, which he doesn't give us, like, a rank or mm-hmm. a title for Albert. But Barry shoots a possible combatant in the distance and then shoots two others that show up. And the scene is great because Nick and Kirby's character, I can never... Sasha, yeah. Okay, thank you. <laughs> I yeah. literally in my notes just write Kirby over and over. You know, start acting out. This is Barry's telling it. And we get this juxtaposition of, like, them sort of acting out this emotional scene of mm-hmm. Barry killing someone and feeling immediately remorseful for it with Barry's sort of inner rememberings of what actually happened in the moment, which was that all the other Marines celebrate his acuity. And Jean says, you know, is that how it really happens? And Barry says, yes. And that convinces Jean to continue with the class. <sighs> lots to unpack yeah. there. Yes, lots. <laughs> Okay, so Sally is, like, you know, again, effusively praising Barry, you're so brave, but he's obviously feeling emotionally fragile and, like, wants the assurance that she's going to be there for him. Yeah. And she basically says, we can find a window. (laughs) Um, uh, Hank confronts Barry in the parking lot, and this time he's not in a wig, he's come as himself, and boy, is he serious. Yeah. Um, We'll definitely talk about that scene. And he tells Barry that... Barry owes him. You know, he saved Barry's life and now Barry owes him and says he wasn't asking him to kill Esther. He was telling him. So he gives a threat. Barry understands and says, okay, fine, I'll help. The police have got uh, Fuchs in custody from that earlier incident, uh, incident and they've got his DNA and they've run it against a database and it matches a tooth that that LAPD found on the floor of the garage. <laughs> so a Loge's partner fills him in on the DNA update and uh, Loach types it into Facebook uh, and is able to connect Barry through the Cleveland connection. So the episode ends with him comparing that thumb with arms picture mm-hmm. of Barry to his Facebook profile picture. And he's he's got it. Which is interesting to me because the Facebook profile picture doesn't look oh, like no. the lipstick camera footage. But, you know, no, whatever. No, it looks like a, like a Bigfoot video. Like. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Yeah, like, if his profile photo was, like, him standing or something, yeah. it might make more sense. But it's just, like, his head tipped up. Yeah. And, like, it's not... I'm not sure how you get there from there, but... Okay. So, there's a lot in this episode. Mm-hmm. You know, just looking at scene count, we've got about a dozen scenes in this, like, mm-hmm. 33 minutes, like, normal... I want to talk about what's going on with the stash house and the improvements that have been made okay. <laughs> since Cristobal arrived. Uh, and now you've got the, you know, the few leftover Chechen guys working to support the Bolivians and 
Uh, there seems to be harmony in the stash yeah. house. But what I wanted to talk about was Hank's room. <laughs> His little, like, loft situation there. Yeah. It looks like, it's like this design aesthetic is like a Wayfair ad targeted at millennials. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just, like, so pretty and, like, you know, mm-hmm. little, you know, kind of pastels and all kinds of rainbow colors. And then you go downstairs to, I don't know, whatever, like, the lobby or the management offices. It's I don't know. kind of like a startup, basically. Yeah, yeah, that was exactly my thought. I was like, it's decorated like if a startup was like to a Crate and Barrel 2 designer, like CB2 yeah. was like, here is all our money, like decorated. <laughs> so yeah, I, it just cracks me up that it's uh, it's a joke. And again, they, you know, don't frame it in any special way. It's it's just, it's just there. It's just the environment. Yeah. And it happens to be very funny. <laughs> It feels natural that this is what the, the place that the two of them have built together would look like. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I will say the one thing I really loved about that whole scene and setup is that, you know, we were introduced to all of that through Hank writing this email to Batir, yep. who's the head of the crime family back in Chechnya. Yep. And that device of the email is sort of used how the press conference was used in season one yeah where you know that's sort of the overarching thing that carries us through these smaller scenes setting things up and here we have you know him sort of giving us this exposition in the email while we see you know like the bolivians and the chechens working together and Mm -hmm. like everything's so positive and happy and kind of wraps it up like this is so great we're doing really well and then that ends up being quickly quashed by them basically you know blaming the bolivians for killing goron and so hank's little idyllic paradise is threatened yep and the other thing that's precarious there is his kind of singular relationship with cristobal what they have is you know he he thinks it's special and he's threatened by the presence of esther not yes. just from a business standpoint, but, like, from a friendship standpoint. Yeah. And one of the things decor-wise that stood out to me was that really funny poster of the two of them together giving a thumbs up. Yeah. Like, a joint management thing, like, <laughs> but clearly they're very friendly. And later in the episode, there's a photo that you see of Cristobal and Esther together, back-to-back, like a 1980s, like, buddy movie. So um, great. Really, really good. <laughs> I love Esther's style. Oh, yeah. I I wrote, like, it's like a seventh grade school yearbook photo from the 90s with, like, her (laughs) knee-length denim shorts. Yeah. And those, like, thin, like, track jackets that, like... like, little windbreaker guys. Yes. Yep. And, like, bright colors. So great. I dig her style so much. I don't understand, though, why she stabbed herself in the hand. I would, like, even if I thought I was stronger than someone else, I would not stab myself in the hand to prove a point. I know, for real. Like, Yeah. I mean, I have a hand injury right now, and it's, like, really minor, and yeah. I'm like, this is the worst. Can you imagine just stabbing right through your hand? There's Hello. so much stuff in your hand. Yeah, and you use it for fucking everything. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't imagine that. I know it was, like, done to punctuate, you know, a point, but... I know, but that was not a small knife either. No. And also, she definitely severed, like, at least two tendons. She had to. And then, uh... You know, they're criticizing the the Chechen, uh, you know, his army of Chechen assassins Mm -hmm. um, as being, like, very physically weak. Yes. And he's like, they're right over there. (laughs) I know. He's worried about morale. If you think about it, you know, it's true. Cristobal's a very positive guy, but he was just like, you know, they're physically lacking. They're weak. And Hank's (laughs) like, shh, they're right over there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it cracks me up. And also the the joke about, oh, maybe it's my Blu-ray of Riverdance. <laughs> yeah. River dance on Blu-ray. Nope, it's a bullet. Yep. You're just ahead of your time, Hank. <laughs> a couple of my questions from the end of last season were answered. Um when we were at the lake house, you know, and like some time had passed and Fuchs mm-hmm. had been gone and I was like, Well, where is Barry working? Like what is yeah. he doing for money now? Where is he living? Because you know, up to this point, he was living in a hotel with Fuchs, and his yep. money was coming from murdering people. So we get an answer to at least one of those questions here, which is, what is Barry doing for work? And we see that Sasha has gotten him a job at Lululemon, where she works. Um, and I <laughs> I love this intro where the customer says, like, is everyone who works here British? And she's like, what? And then we cut to Barry doing... The worst oh mashup gosh. of like British question mark accents. Yeah. Every like Commonwealth, <sighs> the the 
<laughs> bloody <laughs> cat Rita. <laughs> like, what? Oh, my God. It's um, so bad. <laughs> I was like, it had to be hard for him to do bad accents because he's so good at imitating. <laughs> yeah. That, like... If he could do, like, he wanted, he's done British accents on, uh, you know, SNL and stuff before. Like, he can do one if he wants. But just, like, for him to do it so bad is, like, impressive. <laughs> and also part of the comedy comes from, like, him getting frustrated with the card reader and dropping the accent immediately. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's just not even trying to, like, convince the customer. <laughs> he's just playing around. What was really funny to me was, you know, when he was like, we can both be Australian. And she's like, I would never be Australian. Which we all know she played an Australian character in The Good Place. Is she British or Australian in real life? She's British. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But she's like, I would never play an Australian. Meanwhile, she she was actively playing one on The Good Place when that was on. (laughs) But the best part of this is when Hank shows up. Oh, my gosh. A a bold costume choice. (laughs) Also... He's, I wrote this down, like, he's wearing a wig, but he's also wearing a short sleeve shirt, which he makes sure that Barry knows is his own shirt. <laughs> Model zone. <laughs> but he's covered in very visible, very distinctive tattoos that he did not bother covering up, it, but he's wearing a wig. It makes no sense. And <laughs> that's what I love about, like, I love that for him. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, he's just not a competent criminal. He's a really nice guy and he tries hard. But he's not good at criminaling. I think the thing, though, with, with like, this gang stuff, like, mm-hmm. the Bolivians, like, the Chechens, like, the Burmese, is, like, they rely on strength, mm-hmm. like, physical violence to affect the, their ends. Yeah. They do not, like, <laughs> the subtleties of, like, subterfuge and disguisery, <laughs> like, that's not something that they have to employ. It's funny, too, because, like, Barry as, like, uh, at this point, a career criminal, like a career murderer, is very conscious of that stuff. And he's always got his face covered up and any identifying stuff covered up when when he's somewhere that he could be recorded. Or he thinks he wasn't with the yeah. lipstick camera. But, yeah. <laughs> so that's just like not where Hank's head is at. This was an <laughs> opportunity for Hank. And he was like, I'm going to do something really fun with it. Which he is great in this scene. But I will say, like, to me, it was really jarring how mean Barry was to him here. Yeah. Now, Barry has never shown, like, any kind of friendship towards Hank. No. Like, Hank is very one-sided. Yes. (laughs) Hank has clearly, like, respected Barry and, you know, been sort of in awe of what Barry's capable of doing. But Barry has never, like, reciprocated that, like, kindness or politeness. No. But here he's just, like, straight up very mean. And Hank, you know, gets a little, like perturbed at the end and is like if you don't do this for me my family's gonna kill me and barry's just like i don't fucking care get out of here you fucking idiot yeah and like it was really mean yeah it was and very cold like and i think that while i understand it that barry's like you come to me where i work like like possibly reveal what i do like he could cause problems for him but yeah he was like ice cold (laughs) yeah and just to bring that back around to the end of the episode so that's that's kind of where we leave them there but then hank shows up to acting class Mm -hmm. and you know barry immediately approaches him with the same kind of attitude like what the fuck are you doing here you know get the fuck out of here kind of thing like yeah like really like bossy and mean and dismissive towards hank yeah and hank finally like puts him in his place yep He's like, I'm the boss now. Yep. That serious Hank scene was, like, so well acted. Yeah. You know, especially on the part of Anthony Kerrigan, because he's got this element of being hurt that underlies the whole thing. Yeah. And he's stepping up and fulfilling this role that, yes, he is supposed to be fulfilling by nature of his job, but he's not doing it because he wants the power. He's doing it because his feelings are hurt and he doesn't want to (laughs) die. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like, I think he's trying to express to Barry, like, I came to you wearing disguises. Like, I'm not doing that now. Like, Mm -hmm. basically, like, I tried to ask you in the nice way. Yep. And you wouldn't do it and you were rude to me. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm just fucking telling you. Like, he he needs it to happen either way. Yep. And if it's not going to happen the nice way, it'll happen this way. And it's funny because one of our observations last season about Hank is that he's so polite and his, like, ending line is, it's not polite. (laughs) Yeah. I know. Honestly, that that scene is, like, really chilling. Yeah, it's it's kind of hard to watch. Well, the great thing about it, though, to me is, you know, Barry starts off 
treating him like shit again. Yeah. Like, what the fuck are you doing? Get out of here. But by, you can see Barry kind of quickly becoming cowed. Like, you know, he's like, hey, Hank, you know, relax, man. Like, he's like, I am relaxed. I am super chill guy. Like, (laughs) super relaxed guy. But, you know, Hank basically says, like, if you don't do this for me, I'm going to tell the Chechens it was you and your little acting class and all your little friends goes bye-bye. And so by the end of that, Barry is completely cowed. And I feel like... for him, his, like, coming in hot with being, like, pissed and angry at him is because he's trying to protect this thing that he has. Yeah. And so Hank has to put it in terms that he understands. Yeah. You know, to get yeah. him to care. Exactly. But the, the thing that, like, haunted me about that scene is, like, H- Hank's eyes. He just looks so desperate and hurt. Yeah. I know. he. It's really good. Yeah. You're right. There's almost this element of, like, I don't want to do this. Yeah. But, like... He has to do it. Yeah, like, like, you've given me no choice. Yeah. And it almost felt like a breakup or, like, coming to pick up your stuff after a breakup. Like, (laughs) you know? I know. I mean, in that moment, you wonder, like, is this changing the dynamic between the two of them? Yeah. Like, are we going to see Hank be nice to him again? We just, at that point, we just don't know. Yeah. Yeah. God bless him. Yeah. Kerrigan, brilliant. Oh, but the best part of that scene is Hank gets in the car and drives off, and what do we hear? Pop music. Yep, like bubblegum pop. <laughs> <laughs> but there's still, like, the score, because the score that was playing kind of under this interaction mm-hmm. was, like, very moody. Yeah. And that, like, persists. And so even though we get this, like, comedic note of, like, the pop music as he's driving away, like, the score is still there, kind of. It's, like, in a way, a continuation of the dialogue that's been going on in the scene where, like, there's some jokes mixed in, but when Hank is saying them, he is not meaning to be funny. Yes. He doesn't think he's being funny at all. Yeah. He's like, I'm a super chill guy. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yep. Um, they, they just, like, really, like, a, a balance in that writing that is, like, so hard to achieve that they yeah. do it so well. <laughs> I know. It's, like, even the pop music moments, like, you want to laugh, but, like, you're also still stunned by what just yeah, happened. Yeah, like, so. oh, shit. <laughs> That was great. Okay, so speaking, can we go back to the... I want to go back to Lululemon for just a second. Yeah. So there's this fantastic shot. And, like, we've had some, like, really, like, amazingly framed shots before. But this one just cracks me up where... Right before this confrontation where he tells... Where Barry tells Hank that he is an idiot. They're, you know, having an argument. And in between them are a bunch of mannequin butts wearing thongs. <laughs> oh my the, god, I didn't even notice that. The way this shot is framed, it's like uh, Barry's face on the left and uh, Hank's on the right, and then behind them in the distance, there's all these like mannequin butts. Like a butts. row of butts? Just a row of mannequin butts. <laughs> I didn't even <laughs> notice that. Yeah. Uh, I'm like, that can't be an accident. <laughs> no, of course not. <laughs> I loved it. They're going to notice that's in the shot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all right. I kind of want to touch on Fuchs in the interrogation room because this, speaking of comedic moments, this was very funny to me. (laughs) So, you know, Fuchs has been, he tried to manipulate mansplain his way out of it, but (laughs) they're still interrogating him. And he's sitting there drinking a Coke, which I guess is probably like a sponsor of the show. I don't know. (laughs) But it was a very, very blatant product placement. He's drinking a Coca-Cola. And, you know, we see him kind of being like, I'm a law-abiding citizen. You need a warrant to get my DNA kind of thing. I love this country and our legal system. While he's finishing off his Coke and then, like, sets it on the table, clearly empty. The guy who was standing there wearing gloves with an envelope (laughs) the entire time swoops it up. He thanks him for taking his Coke can away. (laughs) And then the framing of this shot is so fantastic because Fuchs is sitting there and he's still pontificating about how law-abiding he is. And we just see through a window right behind him. This is kind of like that balcony phone call shot from season one. We just see behind him them, you know, processing the DNA (laughs) sample from this Coke can. Uh, You got a court order for that DNA? It's so good. Get a lawyer. <laughs> Please don't talk to the police without I, an attorney. Fuchs has, you know, I would represent myself energy. <laughs> like, Yeah. Without the skill or the capability to yeah. do that. Yeah, that's a, a great scene. Uh, the Ronnie Proxen thing is so funny to me because it sounds like a medication. <laughs> I wrote that. I know. That is really weird. Like, is Proxen 
an actual last name or did they make I'm that like, up? Or? I'm sure it is. But so, okay, so Loach's wife is moving on with this guy named Ronnie Proxen. Yeah. And he uses both names on the phone uh, with his wife. But the first thing I thought was like, okay, Ronnie Proxen sounds like a medication. I mean, naproxen <laughs> is a medication, isn't it? Yeah. It's like a muscle relaxant or something like that. It's an NSAID. Okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, so I was just like, ask your doctor if Ronnie Proxen is right for you. <laughs> <laughs> this podcast brought to you by Ronnie Proxen. <laughs> and then, like, we'll just talk really fast about all the side effects at the end. Like, <laughs> may cause rectal fissures and eyeball bleeding. There's a, there's a commercial, a pharmaceutical commercial that the first time I heard, like, all of that litany of side effects... I laughed so hard that I cried for, for like three minutes. And I turned to my mom and I said, did they just say your taint will rot? <laughs> <laughs> and she and I laughed for like another few minutes. It's uh, it's a diabetes medication and it says a rare skin infection of the perineum. <gasps> so your taint could rot. Oh my God. Yeah. You know what, though? The side effects, they have to list everything that everybody yeah. in the trial had. Even it doesn't it necessarily ne- yeah. mean that it was caused by the drug. Yep. So, like, someone's taint was just rotting. <laughs> that has to be in that little pamphlet in every commercial for this, like, potentially, like, oh, life-saving God. medication. <laughs> Your taint can rot. Yeah. I mean, that has to be another kind of issue. I would think. What would cause taint rot? Uh, I don't want to know. <laughs> I hope I never know. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, life-threatening skin condition. Mm. So, touching on Loach again, though. Yeah. You know, we get this whole thing that he's going through this divorce. Um, Seems like he's, like, not really engaged in the divorce, though. Like, he doesn't want the divorce to happen. Oh, yeah, he does not want her to leave. But... We see Loach at Jean's when Barry shows up there to convince him to come save the production. You know, and he basically says to Jean, like, you know, your cabin's not a crime scene anymore. We're not going to search the woods. Mm -hmm. You know, in Loach's mind, this is the Chechens. Yeah. Like, you know, they went after the Chechens. And it's clear to him that the Chechens went after Janice. Yep. What's interesting to me, though, is that, like, Loach doesn't seem to be afraid of the Chechens coming after him, despite him really believing this is what happened. Yeah. The vibe I kind of got from him is, like, he doesn't value his life. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, he's not being super careful. Yeah. But we also, in this scene, get introduced to his new partner, May. And you can just tell, like, he has, like, absolute disdain for her. Mm-hmm. I And it's probably, like, a couple fold like she's not janice he's still you know obviously really like hurt and bitter about what happened to janice yeah like not ready for a new partner and then also too she seems a little like haphazard yeah yeah and kind of a smart ass but in a good way like the kind of way i admire but she's just kind of wandering around Jean's house, like, admiring all this stuff. <laughs> but you know what? That's not a bad quality. Like, she's no. sort of getting, like, context for Jean. I mean... She's investigating. <laughs> I mean, they're basically there to tell him that, like, there's nothing more that can be done. Yeah. So it's not like, you know, she should really be doing anything else. But yeah. I don't know. He seems very disdainful of her. Like, the, you know, this is our introduction to her. And we're yep. setting up that, like, Loach is, like over her already uh the scene where like he's like what did i tell you about coming into my office and then it's like framed wide and you see they're like essentially in an open floor plan office yeah it's like not even like a real cubicle the walls are like waist high yeah i'm like that would drive me insane it's so funny but while we're talking about that scene in in the house man gene is like very theatrically describing how he wants you know he's he's got suicidal ideation because of how um, upset he is over the loss of Janice and he goes through this like really theatrical way of explaining like what yeah. what he wants to do and like he keeps adding descriptors onto this 38 special mm-hmm. and it's just like so funny <laughs> he and you know you're right he is like very theatrical this episode like yeah. there's that with the the thing where he's you know talking about wanting to kiss this gun yep you want to kiss, kiss a gun, gun? <laughs> Um, and then the Bertolt Brecht story about the schnitzel and telling his wife, like, yeah. I'm, I'm out. It, yeah, it's very, I don't, do you, 
do you think that this is really, I mean, Jean does seem truly, like, grieving. Yes. Oh, yeah. But do you think that this is, like, real Jean? Or do you think that this is him just, like, I don't know, like, Part layering it in? thinks that, like, okay, so maybe, you know, digging into his psyche a little bit, maybe he is that upset that he does want to kiss that gun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but he is delivering that news to Barry in the way that he imagines it would happen on screen. Yes, that's yes, that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. Is like he's just like, what would this look like? like yeah, he can't even like, and maybe it's just because he's been in this actor space for so long. Yeah, like he can't just like be a person about it. It's, yeah, just be in his authentic messy feelings. Yeah, it's yeah. gotta be like someone's trained a camera on him, yeah. and like what would happen? What would he say? Yeah. And then just all the, it's like three jokes back to back. Like, you want to kiss the gun? And then, uh, and then he is like, you don't know about the, was it the Japanese ritual of Harry Carey? Yes. Is that it? Yeah. And <laughs> Bill Hader's like, sports announcer? And he's like, I need you out of my house. <laughs> just like back to back these three great jokes in this like really uh. tense, sad moment. <laughs> Oh, so good. <laughs> I would love to, like, I, I bet, I would bet money that there are more like, the, there are alts of that joke. I'm sure. And I would love to see those alts, because I'm sure they could go for, like, <laughs> ten minutes. Oh, one of the things I was wondering was, you know, so Gene is, like, really, like, they, at acting class, they said, like, he had a, a breakdown. He thinks Janice is dead. Nobody mm-hmm. actually knows what happens to Janice, but Loach also seems to think she's been murdered. But, you know, we're, at that point, we're being told, like, the play is opening tomorrow. Mm-hmm. And... How much time has passed since the lake house? That's what I was trying to figure out. I think it is six weeks, but I'm not sure. They they made some reference to the show being in six weeks, if I remember okay. correctly. I was trying to remember how long, because, yeah. yes, they were rehearsing at the lake house, and yeah. I knew it was happening in the future, but I didn't yeah. know how much time had happened. Everything still feels very fresh, but we also know that some time has yeah. passed because they're ready to go with the play now. And he's still, like, deep, deep, deep in his grief. Like, he's not, yeah. like, moving on at all at this yeah. point. I guess it ends up an open investigation until this episode. Yeah. But, yeah, I think it's a matter of weeks. What's interesting to me, let's talk about Sally a little bit mm-hmm. in this episode. So what's interesting to me is, you know, when we see the acting class at first and Barry is the only one in costume. He's the only one ready to go in this, you know, dress rehearsal. Yeah. And, you know, trying to, like, keep the mood of the room up. And Sally is the one that's like, we can't do this. Yeah. And I just thought, I I found that really unexpected from Sally because she, to me, is, like, such a self-involved character, much like Barry, that... You know, I would think that she would want to be like, the show goes on no matter what. Like, her and Barry are, you know, like the top build people yeah. for this play. Especially considering, like, how they responded when um, when Ryan died in season one. Yes. They were like, let's put on a show of, like, a bunch of other scenes that make us think of him. But they're just, like, random scenes. You know, it's like, how can we make this about us? <laughs> right. And, and so that's why, like, I'm, it was very unexpected for Sally. And I'm wondering if that's coming from a place of, like... Is she actually moved by what happened with Janice? Like, does she really herself feel like it's disrespectful to move forward with this? Or is it more out of respect for her relationship with Gene and his feelings about it? That's such a good question. And, like, on the one hand, she was there at the lake house when Janice disappeared, you know? She's, like, one of the last people to see Janice. So I can see how that would be affecting but her personality so far seems to be that, like, if anything bad happens to her, she's like, I'll use it for my art. So I know. She so, doesn't want to do that. So to me, it's got to be a gene thing that she's like, he's her mentor. He's the person who honestly blows smoke up her ass all the time <laughs> about how she's the most talented and all this kind of thing. So I don't know. I think that's probably the answer because you're right. Like, if it's just down to her, she would be like, and I was there right. when she went missing. But we don't see any of that. Yeah. We see her taking a really low-key approach to this. And, you know, in that moment, Barry's like, well, if we don't do the play, what's the point? Which she brings up later yep. on opening night when, you know, Barry's insisting that they're moving forward with opening this play. Yeah. And Sally's like, you're acting crazy. Like, and what did you mean when you said what was the point? Which, honestly, in my notes, I wrote, like, 
I think that's a really weird line for her to pick up on because if in the context that they were talking about it and he's like, if we don't do the play, then what was the point? I would immediately think like, what was the point of us doing all this rehearsal? Yeah, six weeks of preparation. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But she's kind of like, what did you mean by that? Did you mean us? And it, I was like, wait. Yeah. <laughs> Are you, first of all, it's a weird thing to to light on. Yeah. But I think the writers wanted us to, you know, be reminded of that, like, I, why Barry killed Janice in the first place. Right. I, I think you're exactly right. I think that it was chosen very carefully so that it makes your ears prick up and realize that, oh, there's something that Barry is hiding from Sally. And I don't want to, like, go ahead to, like, another episode. But, but yeah, like, her background and her experiences might make her extra sensitive to the idea that it's, like, about her. So, yeah, I don't know. Well, too, though, does that her question about that like what do you mean do you mean us like Mm -hmm. does that mean that she was only with him because they were doing this play uh i mean she does seem like a lot more into him when he's like doing well as an actor oh absolutely yeah yeah (laughs) it was right yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah but anyway i just this episode was interesting to me in terms of, like, we're getting a different kind of view of Sally here. And I'm not 100% clear on her motivations. I think it's just a, another interesting facet to her. We'll have to kind of see where this is going. Yeah, I think, like, the other possibility, now that I'm thinking of it more, is that Barry effectively has closure on what happened to... He's the only one. He's the only one. He's the only one who knows. And he's the only one that has closure. Everyone else is just kind of this, like, they don't know whether they're grieving or they're not. Well, I mean, what's interesting, too, and they, they just shove this right in her face yeah. is, you know, when he's like, well, we don't know that Janice is dead. And she's like, everyone seems to know what happened to Janice but you, Barry. And I'm yeah. like, Barry's the only person that knows what happened to <laughs> <Yeah>. Janice. Like, <laughs> Irony. Irony, baby. <laughs> yeah. Way to put just, like, the finest of points on that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. So, speaking of theater, like, can we dive into the scene? Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. This is a rough one. Yeah. Yep. After we get our Bertolt Brecht schnitzel uh, wife, <laughs> I'm out monologue from Jean there. You know, Jean says, I'm shutting down the class. And Barry panics. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's just, there's no other word for it. He's in panic mode. Yeah. Like, it, I think earlier you said, like, he sees his future crumbling. And I'm like, yeah. that's it. It's like, literally, he's like, all my dreams. Yes. And, you know, it's like, why, why did he kill Janice if that means he can't have the thing? Like, the whole reason he killed Janice was to keep the house of cards from crumbling. Yeah. And now he has killed Janice, the thing he thought would save this fantasy future. And it's ruining it anyway. Yep. It's just... And the fact that he couldn't war game that out in his head. <laughs> he just thought Shows Janice it. would disappear. Like, her, that chess piece would go yeah. off the board and everything else would be fine. And I'll just get along, like, with what I'm doing. No. <laughs> but the irony of that is that he tried to use that argument on Janice. Like, yep. you can't, you know, if you arrest me, like, it's going to ruin your relationship with Jean. It's going to ruin all this stuff. And it's like, but he didn't think that would yeah. happen if he just killed her. Like, I, oh, Barry. Well, yeah. I, I think it goes back to, like, you're talking about a couple episodes ago, his confidence that he's going to be able to get out of it. Yeah. Like, he thinks, oh, I can kill her. And he's so confident that no one's going to have it stick to him. Like, it's not going to stick to him. Yeah. But it's like he didn't even consider Jean like Jean's response to having Janice be gone or killed like and this is where it starts to like you start to be like is Barry like okay yeah yeah like uh, like, what is his like perception of the world and does it match everyone else's perception of the world yeah because the idea that you could still be like you know mentored by your mentor and have this like fatherly relationship with someone where you just killed his like that's that's some deep sociopath shit. But, like, even if Gene never knew, yep. you know, which is what Barry's hoping for. Gene yep. will never find out that he has done this thing. Yep. He just thinks that, like, Janice will cease to exist. Yep. And everything will keep going as normal. And he will just enjoy his relationship with Gene and have and this play and have this relationship yeah. with Sally. And, and like, he's okay keeping this secret 
from this person who he presumably loves and respects. As long as he gets what he wants out yes. of it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's some sociopathic behavior. Well, that kind of leads into this bitter back and forth with Barry and Jean, which is, you know, Barry kind of desperately being like, well, you know, you say, like, we can we can work it out here. Like, you know, and, and Jean is at this point where he's like, I don't want to talk about Janice. It is yeah. so painful for me. Like, he really is, like, in the depths of his grief still, like you said. Truly, yeah. And... He's like, I don't want to do that. Do you want to talk about hard stuff? Do you want to tell us about the first time you killed somebody? Because that's, like, that's the equivalent for me. Yeah, that's how it feels for me to, yeah. Because they still think, you know, that, like, Barry killing somebody is a horrible thing for Barry. (laughs) Which we as the audience are about to find out that that's not the case. (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) So, in an act of desperation, Barry starts... You know, kind of, like, literally to keep Jean from going out the door. Literally, like, starts telling this story um, about being in Afghanistan and mm-hmm. being on Firewatch and, you know, having to kill some people who may or may not have been enemy combatants. I'm going to say probably weren't. Uh, yeah. Oh, my God. And and the, the juxtaposition of his storytelling about it. There's three stories happening. The story he's telling. The actual story he's remembering, yeah. or at least his memory of the story, and then the story, the way that his classmates are acting it out. Yes. Three stories unfolding at the same time. <laughs> and they're taking some artistic liberties. Yes. And, like, <laughs> the funny thing is, like, the um, interpolation that they, like, bring to the scene is so laden with judgment. And, yes. like, every interpolation they add is something that you can see Barry kind of, like, cringe. Yeah. Because... You know, well, the assumption would be that you would radio for permission and make right. sure you're following the rules of engagement, you know, and that's not what happened. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, yeah, it's just, it's a really, like, sophisticated scene. It's really cleverly done, too, because we could just have him tell us and we could see his inner picture, yep. but there's, there's, like, an added dimension, like you said, about having them act it out that, like, adds this layer of judgment. Yes, and that is perfect. Yep. It really is. Because that goes back to what I mentioned being my standout moment from season one, yeah. which is that, you know, that in that conversation of moral injury with the class. And here we have it again, where the class is giving Barry their judgment on his actions. Yep. Which is, if you have killed somebody, you would feel immediately remorseful about it. Yeah, I <laughs> like the way that Kusino puts it, like, uh, you know, but I think we can all agree that if you kill outside of combat, <laughs> you're... Then you're a fucking you're, psycho. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, no, that's so true. And and it's it, it's the scene that comes up again and again, and it's, like, really emphasized at the end of season one, and it's going to continue to, like, this, this, this rift between him and the society around him, yeah. him and the people around him. Can he have real connections? Can he bring himself to any relationship or any endeavor at all. No, because Jean asks him at the Mm -hmm. end, is that the way it really happens? And I think Jean suspects that maybe it's not. Yep. But Jean says, Barry, is that the way it really happened? And it's like there's so much happening in that moment because I think Jean is doubting Barry a little bit. Yep. Barry is realizing that, like, if he says the truth mm-hmm. about what happened and how he feels about it, that's it. He's done. These people will never accept him. Yeah. So Barry's real self will never be accepted by this class. Absolutely. And and it like the whole point of this episode seems to be that Barry in his Barry understands enough about the society around him to know what is right and wrong. It's not that he was raised in a situation where he doesn't know right or wrong. It's yeah. not that he has subscribed to a belief system that that Fuchs made him, like, indoctrinated right. him into. That might have been the case before, but now he understands what people think is right, and he's still willing to do the wrong thing to but get what he wants. I'm wondering, though, like, is this is this sociopathy where he, he knows mm-hmm. how people think? Yep. He knows that they understand... Or they feel that that's wrong. Yeah. It's not what he feels. Right. But he knows enough to sort of cloak himself yes. in what is commonly accepted, right. even if he doesn't feel it himself. Yes. 
Yeah. I, I would be really interested to learn, like, what the actual psychology of Barry is. And I don't think we're ever going to find out. Like, season, yeah. like, we've had, you know, in season one, we ask questions about, like, do we ever find out about Barry's childhood? We don't yeah. up to this point. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there was something I said in season one where I was like, Barry is nice, but he's not kind. Like, he's not a kind person. He's not interested in fairness or justice or that kind of thing. He wants to be perceived as nice. I, I, it's interesting though, you know, and we, we talked to Alec Berg about this and he's talked about it elsewhere. And so is Bill about the laptop moment Mm -hmm. from season one. And I do think, you know, especially hearing their motivations and initially writing that, that was, I think, meant to be a kind gesture. And I don't feel like in giving Sally a laptop he was trying to manipulate her yeah. or anything. I do feel like he was trying to genu- genuinely like, you know, this is a thing that she needs. I will get it for her because she needs it. Yeah. I just think that there's so many other pieces of him missing. <laughs> yeah. See, I might be like more cynical about this. I think that what he wanted was to lock down a relationship with her. Mm. And this was like a token or like a, you know, a move through which he could do that. And like the thing that is reaffirming my belief in that now that I'm say- saying it out loud mm-hmm. is that like one, she says, oh, you think you could buy me? That's yeah. literally what he thinks. But in that, like at that point in the series, you think that maybe he's got some redeemable qualities that like, you know, he's just making a, a faux pas. And the other piece of it is that now we've seen him do something absolutely egregious and like horrific so that he can get his life to go on the yeah. way he wants. And then I was thinking back to that fantasy. Also, I think it's in episode four, right? Where Sally, he's over overhearing Sally tell her friends about, you know, how their relationship started. And she's like, yeah, he's just a guy who knows what he wants. You know, I, I said, that's a guy who knows what he wants. Mm. So it's about what he wants. Interesting. That's Cause my I, read. I was really willing to give him the benefit of the doubt and just say, like, I think this is coming from a place of naivety. Yes. And he doesn't know how it's going to be received. And Sally's experiences with Mike that day kind of inform how she perceives this yeah. gift. But, yeah, I mean, when you strip it all the way back, go all the way back. Yeah. It's... It's like what's being revealed in these, you know, in these episodes... It starts to paint how I understand Barry from the previous episodes. Yeah. And, like, this version of him is a lot less sympathetic. (laughs) Well, there's this idea in feminism of just asking yourself, you know, when you're deconstructing sort of patriarchal ideals, like, who benefits? Yeah. And so for me, looking at the laptop thing and you say, who benefits? And it's like, well, Sally benefits. She gets a laptop. But when you take it a step back further and you say, who benefits, then... Really, it is Barry doing right. doing the kind, nice thing for Sally and getting the reward of Sally's positive yes. attention. Oh, what is that thing like? Oh, it's a quote. I'm going to misquote it. Women aren't machines you put kindness into until sex falls out. Oh, it's out. Sylvia Plath. Sylvia Plath. Okay, yeah. yeah, there you go. Yeah. Like, that, kindness he's, coins into... Yeah, he's putting kindness coins into yeah. her sex machine. Yeah. Like... <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yep. So, overall, I mean... Just another great scene. I love mm-hmm. these acting class scenes that we get where we get some more of Barry's background and we get to kind of explore, like, killing and how yeah. that has shaped Barry and, like, his reactions to it. And Oh, speaking of that, that was, like, one of the, the moments, his absolute unbridled joy in the moment where he's being embraced by his fellow Marines and they're slapping on his helmet. Like, it's so heartbreaking because in that moment it looks like it's the first time he's belonged anywhere. I I heard an interview with Alec and Bill, um, and I'm I don't remember where it was. I'm so sorry, but um, basically, I think it was Alec said like it was this idea of it was this feeling of like being like the new kid mm-hmm. at a school, and you do something, and like suddenly everyone like celebrates and accepts you. Yep, and it was like. I mean, that's really where Barry gets hardwired. Yes. Is getting this positive reinforcement for doing a horrible thing. But in the context of war... Right. It's potentially justifiable. Right. 
we don't know if it is in this case. Right. But, yeah. <laughs> we didn't see the, the quote-unquote enemy combatants. We don't know what was happening yeah. there. It could be a war crime or it could be just yeah. survival. We don't know. <laughs> Either way, yeah. in that moment, he is celebrated yes. for, you know, his skill at doing this. And, yeah, you're, it is very even, childlike. Yeah, and that fact even that they chant his name, Barry Berkman. Yeah. It's like, like you said, hardwiring. It's almost like it's like being programmed into him. This is who you are. Like, this is how you'll be accepted. This is how you can feel a sense of accomplishment and purpose. Like, yeah. 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 And you're right. It's almost that like that chanting, that repetition of positivity really just sort of like rewires him. Yeah. I, um, yeah, that was like his smile on that is so adorable just cause you know, it's so earnest. It's so earnest. Yeah. And like, they're jostling him and like having his helmet. He looks so like uh, happy but not just happy like relieved too and a, like a little bit abashed like yeah. wow you know Sh- like... oh, shucks guys like <laughs> yeah yeah it's um it's precious but at the same time it's chilling <laughs> i do want to i'm not going to nitpick this because i actually think this was a writing choice mm-hmm. um, because like you said we've got these three kind of stories happening in the yeah. scene at one point when they're you know acting it out sasha says you killed them both soldier <laughs> and i was like he's a marine <laughs> I was like, that's the only way you could up the realism on the scenarios if you had Barry be, like, pissed off about that and correct him. <laughs> Even if he just did it, like, out of the side of his mouth, like, Marine, you know? But I think it was actually a good choice. Yeah. I don't think it was a naive, like, I don't think no. they did, you know, didn't understand what they were saying. Yeah. I think it's a one more way to show that the acting class does not understand the world he comes from. Yeah, it's a little Easter egg for the people who understand it. Yeah. And nobody else is going to notice. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I mean, one of my pet peeves is when I'm listening to the news mm-hmm. and and they'll, you know, talk about, like, the Marines or the Navy or something. Yeah. And they'll say, and all the soldiers. And, blah, and I'm just like, what? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, people just don't understand that soldier is... Uh, oh, this is an educational moment for listeners to our podcast. True, yes. Okay, so... Um, soldier is Army-specific. Yes, yeah, soldier is what you call someone in the Army. Airman is what you call someone in the Air Force. Or air person. Air person. <laughs> it's um, airmen, but they it, should change it. It's airmen. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> space, uh, space Force? Space Force is Guardians, yep. which is... I, I, won't, I won't editorialize about that. Yeah, we'll just leave that one alone. It's, it's silly. The Navy is Sailor. Yes. It used to be Seaman. Yes. But they changed that for obvious reasons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Marines are Marines. Yes. And another, They are never soldiers. Never soldiers. And then when they're veterans, don't call them former Marines because they say once a Marine, you're always a Marine. Right. So they like to be called Marine Corps veterans. Or it's just still Marines. Um, Coast Guard. Coasties. Co- Coast, oh, wait. Coast Guardsmen, right? Oh, you know what? I actually don't know the official term. We I, always just I say Coasties. I think it's Coast Guardsmen, but it's abbreviated commonly as Coasties. Okay. Did we forget a service? No, that's it. And that's technically, Coast Guard is not part of the Department of Defense. Right. But <laughs> but we love them just the same. Yeah, and I'll shout out um, my uh, buddy Noah from my writing group, who is a Coastie and is a comedian, and he's got a great joke about that that we can share. Oh, he Twitter. should chime in and let us know what the actual term is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not, if it's not Coastie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh. um. So, yeah, there's your little military education moment, your military yeah. cultural competency. Your little primer on yeah. <laughs> what to call people when you write a screenplay. Yeah. Or if you're a newscaster. Yep. <laughs> yes. But And if you don't know, just troops is fine. <laughs> yeah, although that's feeling a little dated now, isn't it? Like, it, it, to me, it's like, if it's a news story and you're like, your troops, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's like, mm-hmm. you get the idea. They're in the military. You know what you need to know. You don't really care what service they are. Maybe they're right. joined. It feels like a little kind of dismissive. Thing. It's yeah, just like, exactly. you know, all the troops. The troops. Yeah. Um, but do me a favor and don't use troops if you're advocating for something, like, creepy. <laughs> Wait, what do you mean? <laughs> I don't know. I'm not even sure what I mean. But, like, don't, basically what I'm saying is don't use the troops as, like, a bargaining chip or a pawn. Oh, see, for me, I was saying, like, it feels really dated because post-September 11th, 2001, it was, like, support our troops, everything. Yes, exactly. Which just felt very blanket. Support the troops. Yeah. Without actually, like, digging into 
who the troops are, what they're doing. Or, yeah. yeah. It's, it's very, like, faceless, nameless, like, yeah. impersonal. Branchless. It's, it's, I mean, it's yeah, the branchless. vaguest term. It's the, the gift card. It's not even the gift card. It's, like, the visa gift card of <laughs> gifts or monikers. I mean, I think, you know, I think we would say the best use is service member. Service member, yeah. Yeah. Just say service yeah. member. Yeah. <laughs> Which is funny because service member... This has been Reed Jamie Lynn's <laughs> Military Corner. <laughs> so that'll do it for episode one of season two. Let's talk body count for this episode. Yes, let's do the body math. <laughs> so we actually, all of our murders pretty much start in the cold open. We've got um, oh, yeah, that's right. The two guys that are killed in the apartment. We've got door yep. opener guy, R.I.P. And then we've got guy by the TV, R.I.P. And then once we get back to Fuchs's hotel room, we have the Barry 2.0, who is yes. um, summarily executed by the police. Yeah. <laughs> And then we have the um, client who Ooh. leaps to his death on the car. And then is shot yes. in addition to being smushed <laughs> on the head of the car. Spectacular moment of humor. The cops just swivel and start shooting. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what, four? That's four. four. Yeah. Is that it for the whole episode? It is. Oh. Yep. So we start the season off with four, which is actually pretty good. That's one of the higher body counts we had yeah exactly yeah Uh, now we never established rules about who killing who counts so we're just doing every every um non-natural death all the all the kills (laughs) yeah (laughs) okay how about what is your most evil guy for the episode so this might seem a little out of left field but it's batir okay okay yeah And it's basically because I really feel like he's being unreasonable. Yeah. Hank, you know, fully updated him very honestly about what's going on with, you know, this marriage between the Chechens and the Bolivians and how positive and great everything is going and how the gangs are really, like, running this operation very smoothly. And Batir's response to that is to send him a bullet and basically say, like, we're going to kill you because you got in bed with the Bolivians and we... Mm -hmm feel he literally uses the word feel we feel that the bolivians killed goron and yeah. you know without even actually like investigating the situation or yeah also too you're a gang like your point is crime yeah why well, <laughs> yeah. and the crime part is going really well now yeah, that's so literally why you're yeah i don't understand yeah. why they're like they want to fuck that up over goron's death like I don't know. It just doesn't make any sense to me. So yeah. anyway, it's Batir. I think he's being completely unreasonable. That's a that's a good most evil guy. I hadn't even thought about that. <laughs> wow. What's yours? Um. Oh, so mine is a tie. Uh, it is a tie between Fuchs. An be- oldie but a goodie. Yes. An oldie but a goodie. Yes, exactly. Um. He's a classic, you know. I barely need to explain it. But yep. now he's got some other guy under his thumb. And it's just like, it just doesn't stop. If it's not Barry that he's that he's mistreating, it's somebody else. He's got to make money somehow. He's uh, a pimp. Uh, he could learn a trade. <laughs> yeah. He could, he could go to his local Cleveland, Ohio career center and be like, I'm a veteran. I need to talk to... Uh, someone about getting a job. <laughs> His trade is exploiting aimless young men. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's a good point. Okay, so who's um, your, your uh, tie? So tied with Barry because mm. the just this thing that's brewing in Barry where he has this belief that he could continue to go on with his life, you know, as yeah. is, and that everything is going to go, like, it's going to be sunshine and roses now, is kind of fucked up. Like, yeah. he's deeply fucked up and that he goes to check on Kusanao and is, like, trying to prod him to get out of his depressed state. Meanwhile, he literally killed his girlfriend weeks ago. Yeah. Like, it's it's just all very yucky. You know, that's interesting. The way you said that reminded me of how the show started in mm. season one, episode one. With Fuchs basically going to Barry's hotel room yep. and, like, prodding him to kind of, like get his act together and like come on we're gonna go do a hit and here we have like gene in the depths of grief and barry goes there not to 
be with his friend yep. or, you know, console his mentor, but to try to cajole him to do the thing that he wants him to do. Yep. Even though he's super depressed, just like Barry was. That is a parallel I had not picked up on. That oh, me is either. So true. Until you phrased it like that. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Maybe it is Barry. He's the yeah. most evil guy. <laughs> <laughs> so we will leave you with some wisdom from the one and only North Hollywood Henry. Don't fuck with me, Barry. It's not polite. It's not polite. No. Team Hank. Team Hank. And scene. scene. <laughs>